Well, if you brought your Bibles tonight, and I hope that you have, turn with me to 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 2. I want to begin there um, this evening. I, I want to read verses, let me see here. I, I want to read verses, I guess I'll read verses 3 through 9. Now, there's, there's only two verses that I'm really going to hone in and focus in on. But I want to read the whole section of Scripture so that you get it in context. So 1 Peter, I'll give you just a minute. 1 Peter's back there getting close to the end of the book. 1 Peter chapter 2, we'll start at verse 3. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse, verse 4. That's why it didn't look right to me. I'm sitting here telling you chapter 2, and I'm looking at chapter 1. Chapter 2, verse 4, that looks more right. And we'll go through verse 10, all right? 1 Peter, chapter 2, verse 4. To whom coming, as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God, and precious, ye also as Lively stones are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices accepted to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore also it is contained in the scripture. Behold, I lay in sign a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. <clears throat> unto you, therefore, which believe, he is precious. But unto them, which be disobedient. The stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner. And a stone of stumbling, and a, f- a rock of offense... Even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they are appointed. <clears throat> but ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in time past were not a people but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just humbly come before you tonight, thanking you for the good day and the many blessings. Thanking you, Lord, for each one that's come our way tonight. Thanking you for each one who's who's shared their talents tonight, for each one who has prayed, and, and uh, uh, Lord, we just thank you, Lord, for our church family and for the many blessings that you poured out on us, but we thank you most of all for your son, Jesus, Lord God, that you sent him and give him so that we might have life eternally, abundantly. Lord, it's a gift that we didn't deserve and that we cannot earn, and we couldn't even thank to repay you. We, we can't even thank you enough. And Lord, you knew all that beforehand and you chose to do it anyways. And so Lord, my prayer is that we would always be a thankful people. 
we would always be a, a people that is, has praise and glory on our lips for you because you alone are worthy of it. And Lord, I just pray as we go forward here tonight, God, that you would just continue to move in our midst and move in our service tonight. Uh, Lord, I pray, Lord, that you'd prepare every one of our hearts to receive your word. Lord, that, it, that your word, that the seed of your word, that it would find good fertile ground in our hearts, Lord, where it might take root and grow and transform us from the inside out into the image of your Son. Lord, that we might leave here different than how we come in. Lord, I just pray tonight, Lord, that you would just move here in this service, Lord, in a mighty way. God, that you would just stir us up. God, that you would, you would open our understanding. Lord, my prayer is each one of us would have eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts to, to do your, work, your will, your word. Lord, that we would never just be hearers, but we would always be doers of your word. And Lord, so I just pray, Lord, as I get ready to preach your word, God, I need your help. I need a touch from you tonight. Lord, as you've heard already, you're starting to struggle with my voice and a cough. God, I pray, Lord, that you just give my voice the strength to preach your word tonight. I pray, Lord, tonight that you would just give me the words to speak, Lord, that you'd clear my mind of everything but your message. Lord, that I'd focus on it alone. Lord, that I'd be able to deliver your message tonight in a way that pleases you and brings you glory. Lord, because that's my heart's desire. That's what I want to do. And I know on my own, I got nothing to say. So, Lord, I'm asking, just preach me one more time here tonight. And we'll be sure and give you every bit of the glory for it. Lord, have your way and your will in our midst tonight. Lord, pray out, pour out your Holy Spirit, that holy unction upon us tonight. God, we love you. We worship you. We praise your holy name. We ask it all in the precious and holy name of Jesus. Amen. You know, I have, uh, I did not plan things this way at all. I don't have, uh, I don't think I have the ability to plan things quite like this. Um, I think tonight kind of goes along with what we've been talking about last week, uh, last Sunday morning, Wednesday night, Sunday morning. Uh, so, so keep that in mind. There, there's been a theme of sin, faith, and sacrifices. Thank you. Uh, and so, now, now just to briefly recap, now think about that. It, it, God has, you know, put on my heart, and I, I feel like, maybe it's not seen that way to you, but I feel like I particularly, you know, preach specifically uh, about sin and, and, and what sin does. Uh, and the effect that it has. And, you know, I started last week, last Sunday morning, you know, what is the problem? Well, sin is the problem, right? I mean, pure and simple, we get right, right down to it, sin is the problem. Now, not to say that every problem you experience is the direct result of a personal sin that you've committed, right? But sin is the problem. And a lot of times, it is the, the result of something that we've done or sin that we've done. But just in general, we want to talk about, we want to talk about sickness, we want to talk about death, disease. I, I mean, uh, all of those things, right, is a result 
of sin. So what is the problem? Sin. I mentioned this morning about sin and sacrifices. And if you'll remember from the 51st Psalm, right, we've talked a lot about David and how he was a man after God's own heart. But from the 51st Psalm, right, David makes it clear. Uh, what was that, verse 16 or something like that? Where David makes it clear that if, you know, if a sacrifice, and when he says sacrifice there, he means, you know, goats, bulls, sheep, lambs, things like that, you know, animal sacrifice. He's like, if sacrifices is all you want, I'd offer them, right? I mean, David was a man at that point of great wealth and great herds and, and, and great means. And, and I mean, he, he could have literally offered thousands for sacrifice. But I, I made the point this morning in the preaching that uh, the problem is, is if your heart is not right, right, because he goes right on and says, that's not what God wants. It is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. And so if repentance doesn't happen first, and if, if what doesn't need to happen in the heart doesn't happen first, sacrifices do no good. And, 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 and I mentioned this morning that if That's not how I said it. This is how I said it. All the sacrifices in the world don't do any good if your heart ain't right, if it's not true, authentic. Okay, not the animal sacrifices in David's day and the ultimate sacrifice of God's only begotten Son. It don't do you or me personally any good if the heart ain't right. I told you, the reason David was a man after God's own heart, that's what the scripture says, is not because he was perfect or sinless, because he surely wasn't, right? And I told you over and over again, he, was, he, was, he, he could be lazy at times, he neglected his calling, and, and a lot worse than that, well, is one sin worse than another? I don't even want to go down that road, but in our minds anyways, a lot worse than that is an adulterer and a murderer. He commits adultery with one of his best soldiers' wives when that soldier was out in the field fighting for his nation. And then in order to try to cover it up because she turns, turns, out, turns up pregnant, he has that man murdered. David surely wasn't sinless. But David was a man when confronted with his sin. He didn't make excuses. He owned it, and he's broken over it, and that's why he's a man after God's own heart. I mentioned Wednesday night, and it may have been a little bit of, you know, to some it may have been shocking, jarring, may not have thought that way about it before, or maybe different than what you thought or believed, and if it was, good. But I'd mentioned about the basis of our salvation Right? Our relationship with God is not based on our ability to not sin. I got I told you that, I confessed to that. And it took me, it was a long time even after I figured that out before I would even publicly confess to that. But I was caught up in that for a long time. Or it felt like to me a long time anyway. As long as you are trying to please God, 
by your ability to live righteously, right? Your ability to not sin. You will fail and fall on your face. You will put yourself back under the law. You're not living under grace, right? You're missing the whole thing, the whole point. Well, then once, you, once you begin to realize that, then all of a sudden Romans chapter 6 makes a lot more sense because we are no longer, right? Paul, Paul, Paul's talking about this very thing, and he says there, though, that, you know, knowing this, he says, does that give us license to go out and sin and sin? You know, saying that, you know, grace may abound. He says, no, God forbid. And here's the thing, the question was asked. I mentioned this to you this morning, right? Here's the third service in a row, so uh, this ought to be at this point, right? You, you know this as well as I do at this point. question is asked Wednesday night, does that mean that there is no connection, relationship between sin and salvation? No, I'm not saying that at all. What I'm saying is, is it's misunderstanding basis of our relationship with God is faith. Faith. Without faith, the animal sacrifice has done them no good in the Old Testament. And without faith, the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus Christ does you or me no good. It's of no effect, none effect. Sin is the result of a lack of faith. Sin is a result of not living according to our faith. Think about it. What is sin? Sin is disobedience. Disobedience is the, uh, to God is the opposite of trusting in God. It's the opposite of an act of faith. So, here we come to the question, Right? of sacrifices. Let's focus on that for a minute tonight. I've got a lot of people, a lot of Christians would say, oh, they offered sacrifices in the Old Testament, but Jesus is the end of sacrifices. He's the final sacrifice. What if I said wrong? Oh, that ought to get your attention. That ought to get your attention. Now you're thinking, this is it. I knew at some point he'd go off the deep end, and he finally did. Jesus is the final and the end and the ultimate sacrifice for sin. 100% done. But the Bible still, you know, you, you know when we went through the Old Testament, you know that there was a whole lot more sacrifices that was offered more than just the sacrifices for sin, right? Sin sacrifices, right? There's sacrifices is offered, right, because of sin. But there's a lot of sacrifices that was offered that had nothing to do with sin. All right. I read to you some scriptures here tonight. I said that I wanted to focus very closely on one or two of them. And it's verses 5 and 9 that I really want to hone into. Let me read just those two verses again. Verse 5. Ye. 
You all is what that means. That means all of us. Christians. Ye also, as lively stones, living stones, living building blocks, are built up a spiritual house. Stop for a minute. Where was the, where was the sacrifices offered in the Old Testament? Right? Well, I mean, we know that for the bulk of the Old Testament period, it is the tabernacle and then the temple, right? The house of God, a spiritual house. But now, each one of us are living stones, not, not physical stones that have been cut from a quarry and hauled there and stacked on top of each other, but now we are living stones built up, right? One built upon another, stacked, perfectly fit together, built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Verse 9. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him that has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Do you, did you catch what he's telling us there? We are a priesthood. In the Old Testament, you had the family of Aaron, right? They were designated as a priesthood to God. In the New Testament, the priesthood becomes the... See, in the Old Testament, it's the birthright of Aaron and his descendants. In the New Testament, it is the birthright of every Christian. In the Old Testament, God's people had a priesthood, but today, God's people are a priesthood. Verse 5 tells us that. Verse 9 confirms it. If you turn over to Revelations, um, re, no S on the end of it, Revelation. Revelation chapter 1, verse 6, chapter 5, verse 10, and then again in chapter 20 and verse 6. Three times, three witnesses there. And all three of them say as, essentially the exact same thing, which is that Jesus has made us a kingdom of priests to God. Now, that does not mean that some of us are priests and others are not, right? We tend to think of things that way. We tend to want to, to, to look at it that way, but that's not what it means. It actually means that every single one of us that have been born again by the Spirit of God have been born into the family of God, and that family is a priestly Family with, of course, Jesus being the great high priest. And this, this whole um, uh, kingdom of priests thing, that is not a new idea. As a matter of fact, that is exactly what God intended for Israel to be. If you go back to um, Exodus chapter 19 uh, in verses... Five and six. Let me just read it to you real quick. 
Now therefore, if ye will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine, and ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. But as we know, as we study the Bible and we go through the scriptures, we know that Israel did not keep their end of the bargain. They did not keep uh, the covenant, right? They violated it many times. And now, after the final rejection of, of the Messiah, of the Christ, of Jesus... Now, God is actually giving us the chance to do what Israel would not do. So, Scripture makes it clear. This is not a one-off thing, one place in the Scripture that could be, you know, justified or explained away or anything like this. This is something that comes up over and over. It is a thread. It is a theme. All the way through, God's intention is always to have a kingdom of priests who are priests for him to minister for him. To offer sacrifices. So, so, and, and I just said it, but I was getting ready to ask you. So as priests, as the scripture makes it clear that as Christians, we are now a kingdom of priests. So as priests... What are we supposed to be doing? Well, according to the verses I read to you tonight, in verse 5, it says, Ye also as living stones are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood. Right? So the question was, we are a holy priesthood, a royal priesthood, a kingdom of priests, you understand that kingdom is spiritual, right? At this point, anyways. We are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood. What is it as priests that we are to do? Well, the next thing it says there is to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Then, when we do this, According to verse 9, we show forth the praises of him who has called you, called us, out of darkness into his marvelous light. You do know that there is a reason why we have the Old Testament. Now, I, I'm not accusing anybody here of doing this. I've never heard anybody here say anything to this effect, but I've heard a lot of Christians say things to this effect, and, uh, and maybe this is just so you know, so that you're prepared if you encounter that or when you encounter that, but there's a lot that want to d divide this book right here in the half between the Old Testament and the New Testament and say that the Old Testament really doesn't have anything or pertain to us or is not necessary and that you could just stick with the New Testament and you would be good. That would be a mistake. The New Testament absolutely contains everything that you would need 
to to get saved and you know I mean yeah absolutely I mean actually we could narrow that down to just a couple verses that would contain everything that you would need that would be essential for you for salvation and I think if you truly seek the truth the Holy Spirit would guide you to it but here's the thing there is a reason why God has preserved his word through uh, 2,000 years now, the Old Testament has been preserved longer than that. Uh, but anyways, there's a reason that he has done that. There's a reason that we have it today, right? And you do realize that reason is, is that everything that is in the Old Testament is a physical example or representation of what is taking place in the spiritual realm today. And in other words... What happened in the Old Testament now acts as a physical illustration to show us what we cannot see today with our physical eyes. The things that are taking place in the spiritual realm. I believe that the scriptures I read to you today, this evening, is telling us that the move of God's people from the Old Covenant to the New Covenant did not do away with the need for sacrifices. Now, it did, don't confuse that, with the need for animal sacrifices, absolutely. Absolutely that's been done away with. But it did not do away with the need for sacrifices. Jesus offering himself as a sacrifice for the sins of the world did absolutely do away with the need for the animal sacrifices. All those were were a shadow pointing towards the the final sacrifice of all time, right, uh, for sin, right, the Lamb of God, right? But it did not do away with the need for every kind of sacrifice for every reason. So, the Bible makes it clear that we are a spiritual priesthood. The Bible makes it clear in the scripture that I read tonight that as priests, what we're supposed to do is we are supposed to be offering spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. So, what the new covenant did was change what is now an acceptable sacrifice. It changed the kind of sacrifices that God would now accept. So, I think the next logical question that we'd be asking ourselves is what are acceptable sacrifices that we as a kingdom of priests are to be offering to God. What kind of sacrifices are we to be offering to God? I mean, what kind of priest would a person be if they never offered a sacrifice? Never offered a single sacrifice. Well, I would say you'd think us priests is probably not worth much, not doing their job, right? So we need to be offering sacrifices. The Bible is very specific on what is a sacrifice that is acceptable 
to God. I got three for you tonight. Number one. I've done this. I almost hate it when people do this, but occasionally one is just too good and, and I'll just stick with it. But I got three for you tonight, and they all three start with a P. That makes it easier to remember. Person, praise, possessions. Let me explain. Person. The giving of ourselves. Right? The giving of our bodies. The giving of our lives. Right? You might think, well, Brother Justin, what are you talking about? Let me appeal to the Word of God. Romans 12, 1. This should be a familiar scripture to you. The Apostle Paul says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. Do you, does anybody remember what the next line is? That ye present your bodies a living sacrifice. Holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And I like verse 2. It goes right, right, right along with it. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Scripture makes it clear. We are to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice. And this is our reasonable duty. Did you ever think about this? The whole Bible, I mean, it's full of types and shadows, right? That's what I was getting at when I said everything that's happening in the spiritual realm that we cannot see with our physical eyes today, all we got to do is look back to the Old Testament and we can see it with our physical eyes because there's a physical representation of that. What does it mean for us to give our lives, to dedicate our lives, right? And for our, to be a living sacrifice. Well, I can tell you one place where that is typified in the Old or in, the, in other words, it's an example in the Old Testament, right? And that is in the lives, right, of the priest, of the Levites, right? Their lives of dedication to God's service. You can see it, that, and, and maybe that's not the only example. Maybe it's not even completely the best example. But there it is. And, and I just simply ask this. I don't mean to spend a lot of time dwelling on all this tonight. But let me just say this. Who is your life dedicated to? Who is your life dedicated to? You might say, oh, well, of course, right? I've dedicated my life to the Lord, to serving the Lord. Uh, you know, I'm a, I, I'm a soldier in, in the Lord's army, and I'm, you know, I'm dedicated, 100%. You sure about that? <laughs> you sure about that? I find that the average, I just talk about Americans, that the average American Christian, their dedication to the service of the Lord, to the Lord is really good and really strong as long as it don't interfere with anything they want to do. Am I wrong? Our service to the Lord is really strong. Oh, if somebody was to, was to, you know, say something about God or 
Christ or something like that, yeah, we'll speak up. But what about when the temptation draws another way? Luke chapter 14, verse uh, 26. Jesus says something here, and I'm starting here on purpose. It is a hyperbole. Uh, that means that, that he has made a harsh, drastic statement. It's, it's, a, it's a overstating it to make a point. Here's what he says. If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. What I mean by the hyperbole is hate. Is that really what Jesus meant? Was that if you're going to if you're going to follow him, if you're going to be a disciple of his, if you're going to be a Christian, that you have to hate your mother and your father and your your brothers and your sisters and your children and your wife or husband or whatever the case may be? No. It, it, the statement is said like that to, to get your attention, right? It, it like a little bit of a slap in the face. Let me read to you the parallel verses in Matthew. Matthew chapter 10, verse 37. This interprets what he meant there. He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Remember in Bible study just a couple weeks ago, we're going through and, and, and here Jesus is on the shore of Galilee and the, the other disciples, I mean, the, you know, the twelve, they're all about ready to get in the boat and go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And I mean, you know, there's big crowds are gathering and, and he's healed a bunch of people and, and there, you know, miracles have taken place and everybody is pressing in. And remember, there's, there's a couple guys that come and, and basically they run up there and, and they're just wanting to say, you know, look, Lord, you know, we want to go with you. We want to be a part of this. You know, we want to get in the boat too. And of course, the first one, you know, he kind of rebukes because he's, that's the example of the would-be disciple who, who doesn't count the cost. But the second one, the second one's example of what I'm talking about tonight. You remember what he says? He says, let me go bury my father first. He's not staying there. Dad passed away a couple hours ago. We're going to have a funeral in the morning, and as soon as that's over, I'm with you. That is not what he's saying, man. He's saying, Jesus, I want to follow you, but Dad comes first. Dad is up in the years, and I feel obligated as the oldest, he's probably the oldest son, maybe he wasn't, I don't know, maybe he's the only son. But anyways, he, he says, I feel obligated to take care of Dad and to make sure everything is taken care of, and so 
when dad dies one of these days, and of course, if you know anything about the Jewish customs and all that, the, the funeral is not as simple as a one-day deal, buried and done and gone. It's actually a year-long process because they go back and get the bones and put them in the, in the special little box they've got and all that. And what he is saying is when all of that is done, then I will come and follow you. And Jesus says, let the dead bury the dead. Now, I asked you a question just a minute ago. Who, and maybe I should say who or what, is your life dedicated to? Because the truth is, for many Christians, American Christians today, it ain't Jesus. The second thing that I mentioned as a spiritual sacrifice that we are to be offering, right? And, and, and I put person first because if you are not wholly dedicated and the Lord doesn't truly come first before anything or anyone else in your life, the rest of these sacrifices mean nothing and will not be acceptable. Uh, God will not accept them. But the second one is praise. Now these are ones that I intentionally went through and specifically picked because the scripture specifically refers to them in this way. So there can be no mistaking about it. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 15 says, By him therefore let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God. Right? Now let me stop there for a minute. Let us Right? He's written to other Christians who are who now make up a spiritual kingdom of a spiritual priest, a royal priesthood, who offers spiritual sacrifices, and he is saying here to them, to all this this whole kingdom of priests, he is saying, Let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually, that is the fruit of our lips giving thanks to his name. A sacrifice of praise. Let me just simply, quickly explain and move on. A sacrifice of praise would be thanking God for what he's done for us, right? It's telling others about his goodness, right? It, 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 it's, it's, it's witnessing for the Lord, right? I, I mean, telling people about his goodness, his grace, his mercy, uh, his wonderful gift of, you know, Jesus. It's telling people what the Lord has done for you, right? Whether that's witnessing the lost people, whether that's what we call giving a testimony uh, amongst other believers where you stand up and you just share how good the Lord has been to you, right? It's, it, it's the fruit of our lips. It's a sacrifice of praise, right? It's giving God the praise and the glory that he alone deserves. So, let me ask you this. When's the last time? Now, don't answer me. Answer yourself. Think about this. 
when is the last time you told somebody what the Lord has done for you? When is the last time that you have offered, I'm talking about you, that you have offered the sacrifice of praise? If you're a Christian, you're one of his priests and that's your job. And then let me give you the third one. Possessions. Right? Very next verse. Verse 16. Hebrews 13, 16. But it just continues on here, right? What these spiritual sacrifices are. But to do good and to communicate, forget not. Now, communicate there means communicate in the sense of share. Right? And so when we communicate, we think of the word communicate talking to people or writing. When you do that, you're sharing thoughts, right? The idea of what communicate is is still the same, right? It is to share, but it's actually broader than just talking, right? So when it talks about here to do good and to communicate, forget not, it's talking about sharing what we have, right? So it says, but to do good and to communicate, forget not, for with such sacrifices. Those are sacrifices as well. Really, this probably should be split up into two, right? Doing things that are beneficial for other people, things that are good, and sharing with other people, right? Whatever it is that you've got, whatever it is that God's blessed you with, right? It says He's saying, don't forget to do those because those are sacrifices because with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. One way that we offer the, the sacrifices by sharing what we have with others who are in need. Another way that we offer the sacrifices by giving and contributing to God's work, right? For the advancement of His kingdom. I'll give you one example real quick. The Apostle Paul in chapter 4 in verse 8 I think it is, of the book of Philippians. Yeah, okay. So he's talking, Apostle Paul is writing this letter to the church in Philippi, to the Philippians. He is, in this last section, he is talking about their generosity. And in verse 8, yeah, in verse 18 he says, But I have all in abound, I am full... Now he explains why he has all, why he abounds, why he is full. Having received of Ephoritus the things which were sent from you. Right? He said, the offering that you took together, the things that I was in need of, that you gathered up, and you sent by Ephoritus, right? That you sent to me. He made it here with them. I received them, and they are an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. The, the example of this that we see in the Old Testament, it was the people's giving, right? The giving of their own possessions. They would give of their livestock. They would give of their crops. They would give of their money. They contribute, right, for the building of God's temple, for the upkeep of the Levites and the priesthood that ran that, right? And the burnt offerings that they would bring for sacrifices. So let me end with one more question. 
When's the last time you gave to God? When's the last time that you offered that sacrifice? So, I've presented to you three that as priests, we are to be offering that are acceptable to God. And they are, uh, I, I picked these three, because I feel like the Lord led me to these three. And they are just as clear, I believe, in the scripture as, as can be. And so I've tried to challenge you with them tonight. With, with I guess, kind of in three questions. What have you dedicated your life to? What comes first? I mean, what truly, judge it off your actions, not off the, the what you know is the right answer. What comes first? Second one, when is the last time that you told somebody what the Lord has done for you, how good the Lord is? And when's the last time that you gave to God. When's the last time that you gave to God? To His work? To His kingdom? When's the last time that you forgot not to do good and communicate? Right, share. Because this is an acceptable, pleasing sacrifice to God. A sweet-smelling odor. Would you stand to your feet? the altar. I want to give you an opportunity to come tonight. Spirit of God dealing with you. If you've got a need, if you've got a burden, would you come tonight? Whatever it might be. Uh, don't you be shy. Don't you be bashful. Don't you worry what other people think. It doesn't matter what they think. Uh, all that matters is what God thinks. If you've got a need, would you come tonight? If you've got a heavy burden, would you come tonight? Whatever it is.